Hi, Jen. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> uh, welcome, everyone, to Faded Mates. Look at that, right at the front, like professionals. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Bam. It's only taken us two years. <laughs> a year and a half. A year and a year and a quarter. A year and a third. Yeah, I guess. So RWA imploded. Yeah. Since the last time we saw it. <laughs> last week on Faded Mates, we were like, we don't know. <laughs> well, now we know. But it is real bad. Yeah. And I think it's been real bad for lots of reasons, not the least of which is it feels like it is a microcosm of what is happening in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. But we did, you know, cut off the head of the Hydra. Is that the inappropriate? Yeah. I don't know what that I is. I guess I would say, though, like the head of that Hydra was fueled by lots and lots of members of who course. enabled that Hydra. But I. I gotta say, it, I am truly 50-50 on what happens here. Like, yeah. I have no... People keep saying, like, what do you think is going to happen? I, honest to God, it could easily go either way. Like, it could go yeah. RWA, you know, just withers and dies now because everybody leaves right. and starts something fresh or maybe doesn't start something fresh, but, like, we figure out something new or... Some brave souls will step up and try and save it. Yeah, yeah, but that looks like a lot of work to me. Yeah. I'd just rather yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the update in romance world. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but we are going to try something new. Yeah. We're going to try like a, what are, What do we call this? Like a, a series. A special a series. A special series. A special um Report. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a fade most like I feel like it should be like <laughs> as romance made big news because of this terrible situation. I'm sure Sarah. I know. I know that I was also getting a lot of people saying I don't read romance, but I or I used to read romance. It's been so long. You know, how can I, like, where should I start, right? And these are things that we had, like, one episode that was sort of, like, gateways to romance. But we've all, we've been talking for a long time about really digging into, like, the the six subgenres and sort of, like, really digging into them as, like, individual, like, their own thing, right? Like, we just talk about, like, kind of romance collectively. But what does it mean to talk about historical romance as our topic tonight? Because, mm -hmm. obviously, we have a, the expert. Um, and so I think the idea is, j like, for people who follow along, just like, hey, what makes a good historical? And what is it trying to do and achieve? And then maybe for people that are new, like, okay, how can I dive into this? What should I expect? And I think for you and me also, it's, like, a really cool opportunity to just, like, I don't know, like gather our our thoughts collectively about about Each a big subgenre. Yeah. Yeah, the subgenres. So it's basically so you wanna read a Yeah. <laughs> so, so you wanna, wanna read, read a historical, historical, you wanna read a paranormal, you wanna read a um but we're gonna start with historicals and we're gonna try and do all the subgenres with the understanding that Jenna and I basically know nothing about inspirationals. So we might do we might bring in someone, we might not. We yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How many are there? Six? Seven? Six. Six. Well, Can you name them all? 
I can. And seven, if you, if YA is one, which I think we could do YA. I think that actually oh, yeah. be pretty fun. Oh, yeah, we should fun. do YA. We should have somebody on. You know, Zoraida has been wanting to come on, so. Yeah, there you go. on and talk about YA with us. That'd be great. So <clears throat> historical, contemporary, paranormal, inspirational, romantic suspense, YA, and, God, what am I forgetting? Erotica. Erotic. <laughs> My favorite. What the fuck am I thinking? Okay. Yeah. So, but we're going to start with, um, we're going to start with the, the, the beginning. We're going to start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Um, <laughs> um, and interestingly, it's actually not the very beginning because if you think about romance as being like the, if you think about Jane Austen as being the Nicks of romance authors, um, she actually was writing a contemporary, but sure. we're going to go with, we're going to go with historicals for our purposes because- Anyway, we just are. Um, so I have thoughts because um, I think what one of the things that really is fascinating to me, and I know this is true for you too, is you and I both started reading historicals really early in our oh, historical, yeah. in our romance reading careers. My first romance ever was Jude Devereaux's The Black Lion, which is super duper problematic, you guys. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go into it, just go into it knowing there's a lot going on. That is woof. I yeah, maybe we should lead by saying our discussion of any of these texts isn't necessarily especially the old ones like endorsement for like rush out and read them, but more no, just do like people know this already people must know. Yeah, this. but I think that it's worth okay. saying Sure. I think it's anyway. maybe just like No, I mean it's fine. But we are gonna talk about books that we love. So we'll yeah. caveat the ones that we're like mm about that one but anyway i i still read the black line once a year because it's you know that thing that you do it's like the movie that you always watch on christmas eve with your parents it's that thing except i sure. didn't read this with my parents anyway <laughs> so i started i cut my teeth on historicals they are the books that imprinted on me um and so for me i've always historical romance has always been synonymous with romance for me everything else came second um, and so whenever I meet anybody who's, I'm going to use the word scared of historicals, because yeah. I think a lot of readers are scared yeah. of historicals. And I'm guessing because a lot of you guys came to us via Cressley Cole and Paranormal, some of you are scared of historicals. I know this to be true because I know some of you have uh, started yeah. reading historicals via me, which is, thank you very much. That's really kind. Um, but so there's this real sense that historical is scary. It's hard to get, it's hard to navigate. It's hard to mm -hmm. understand. There's an idea that maybe it's boring or that it's like history, like that it's yeah. like work. And then I think there's a whole nother school of thought that's like, it's old fashioned and not very sexy. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's another school of thought that's like, it's real white. And real cis het white stuff. Right, right. And I think that, um, you know, I think all of those are things that can be debunked, um, luckily, now in 2020. I'm not sure we could have had this conversation 10 years ago. But Yeah. Um, because I don't, well, I don't think it's boring and I don't think it's uh, like school. And I think the history part of it is most of the time a pretty light touch, depending upon who you're reading, obviously. But sure, we're going to talk about who you should be reading and where maybe where a good place to start is. So yeah. 
What else? What else about historicals? You have anything um, to say about any of the things I just said? Well, I I think the hardest one to debunk is that it's like real white and real cishet. I think that yeah. we can come up with great examples that are not, but those um, it's it you know that's 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 real, right? So yeah. I I mean I think though that it's like it doesn't take much work at all to like kind of get past that to a better place. So we'll talk about that. I would say the biggest. Uh, complaint, uh, fear maybe, is the idea that historical romance contains like uh, regressive thinking. Ah, oh, yeah. And I think that comes through a lot of ways. And I'm going to actually start by telling a little bit of a story if I can, which is because mm. Joanna Lindsay died. And unfortunately, and sadly for us, we all found out that news. And then literally 10 hours later, Damon Sway blew up the RWA. Yeah, fuck him, by the way, for taking <laughs> I mean, for several things, but like, like, come on. Right before the holidays, too, like, oh, oh you know God. what? I want to pause and I want to say, I want to talk about Farah. Can we talk yes. about Farah just for a second? Yeah. Farah Roshan, who is a really wonderful contemporary writer who has written for Harlequin and, I mean, has written a lot of books. Yeah, um, she has a really cool book coming that looks like it's coming out called The Boyfriend Project. Nice. Yeah, it looks great. Farah has been writing for a while. She's been so committed to romance. She's been so committed to RWA. She's been on the board. She was currently serving her second term on the board of trustees of RWA when all this shit went down. And she was one of the eight women of color who immediately resigned when they figured out that, like, some shenanigans were happening at nationals. And I wish I could be more clear about that, but it seems it, nobody really knows what was going on, but something real bad was going on, and all the women of color on the board except one resigned. Um, Farah resigned the day after Christmas, the 26th. Right. Yeah. Um, and – or – Maybe Christmas Day even. I can't remember. But the group resigned and they had been working Christmas Eve. This all happened on the 23rd. Um, the board had an emergency meeting on Christmas Eve. They spent Christmas Eve working. Christmas Day, they were working. They were on conference calls and talking through everything that had been going on. And then tragically, in the days after Christmas, Farrah's sister died. Yeah. And... I will never not be angry that RWA took Farah's last Christmas with her sister and, like, consumed her with the drama of our world, which is not more important than spending time with your family. Um, And so very tragic. A lot of the romance community has come together to help Farah in this time and sort of give her support and give her love and read her books. Um, and she is raising money for her sister's church's organ. They want to buy yeah. a new organ for her sister's church. Her sister sang in the choir for many, many years and cared very deeply for her church music program. Um, Romance is raising the money to buy this organ. We need right $32,000. Yeah. We are over $20,000. Um, I'm so proud of us, but I know we can hit this 32000 number. So if you are looking for just something good to do in the world for a good person who had a real bad time, who's a yeah. you know good writer and a good citizen of romance and just deserves everything we can give them and you just want to feel good about yourself for a little bit and you have some extra money to throw Farrah's way, 
um, there's a GoFundMe and we'll put links in the show notes. Yeah. And people are putting in five bucks. I mean, it's just really like uh, us as a community saying like, we care about you and this is important to you and your family and we want to support you through that. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely put links. I think last time I checked like earlier this evening, it was like $22,000. So $10,000 away. And so that's like awesome. And I want, I want us to get there too. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that is, that is the most important thing that RDA yeah. took took time away from. But also we discovered that Joanna Lindsay had a giant yes. Joanna Lindsay had passed away in October. I don't even know if we talked about this on the podcast. No, because I it's mean great. it was real it was real tragic for all I mean, like very sad for all of us. Yeah. She died of lung cancer. She died pretty young. She was still yeah. in her sixties. Um, she died in October in New Hampshire, and they announced the family announced it on like the twenty second of December. Yeah. Um, so we'll put information on that in show notes, too. Both Jen and I gave interviews about her. Yeah. Um, because she was so important to us, as you know. We, I mean, like, we were really proud that we were able to talk about her and Gentle yeah. Rogue. Right. Well, here's the part that was really interesting. So I was interviewed by, like, as the Kirkus Romance correspondent, right? It was kind of like, and I tweeted out a, a... So fancy. I know. Well, I was real outraged about the New York Times obituary of her, which I felt was just really dismissive of her work, which, and by I the mean, way... so yeah. surprising. And so one of the things that was really interesting is I had a great conversation with this reporter um, who... He he asked a really interesting question, and I think this is why it was on my mind, is he said, he said, OK, so, like, help me understand, like, her legacy. And, and he said, I think I'm really curious, like, why are all these plots about, like, women getting, like, kidnapped or imprisoned? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, well, like, women are always trying to break out of the cage. Yeah. Right? And I remember, if you've read Trevor Noah's um Auto auto memoir. Sorry, mm-hmm. he talks. His mother married a. Um, I literally just read this, so it was like on my mind when I talked to this reporter. But this, um, his mother had married again when he was like nine or ten, and this turned out to be a bad man. And one of the things she said to Trevor was basically, and I'll put the exact quote in show notes, was basically like, "Some men are attracted to like free women, so that they can be the ones to put them in a cage." Mm-hmm. And when we look at old historicals that like seem so regressive, I, you know, sometimes, I mean, look, sometimes romance is regressive. I'm not going to say that that's not true. No, but, of course. Right. But I think a lot of the time what is what is happening is it's like women exploring the cage. And I think that that's one of the ways to look at some of these old historicals or even historicals now. Right. Like what are the boundaries of like what women could do? And in that way, I find sometimes historical romance can be more progressive than contemporary romance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that's really true. And I think that that's because, you know, you've really given you've given language to it and you've given really, really interesting language to it, because I've always said that romance, historical romance, I I think it's Obviously, I think it's the easiest thing to write because it's what I do, right? Right. Um, but I think the part of the 
joy of writing it for me is that it's really easy in historicals to put up the bar to show the barriers that women face every day, right? To mm-hmm. show our boundaries, to show the cage. Yeah. And to say like here's a character, she's in a cage, this is what the cage looks like and have readers kind of buy into the cage mm-hmm. and then and then cheer her on as she fights to get out of it. And um that is really powerful. And so it's easy to put strong feminist characters on the page and ha- and like wind them up and set them loose. Yeah. Um, in a way that in contemporaries, it's a much more challenging. There are expectations on contemporary heroines right. that don't exist for historical heroines in the same way. Oh, yeah. I think that's like every true. historical heroine really is kind of like a remarkable woman, even though, you yeah. know, it, she has a she's remarkable, um, remarkable because she has a job or she's remarkable because she went to college or she's remarkable because she speaks seven languages or like whatever right. the thing is. But if you put her down in a contemporary, she's she's just a modern woman, you know, even though she's still remarkable in the contemporary. Right. Well, I think, you know, we talk a lot about. I am not a fan of the sort of like, not like other girls trope. No. But what I am a fan of is every single romance character, especially women, being characters that I think are like just living their best lives and trying to do their best and whatever that is, like sort of being true to themselves. And that's, you know, I think that maybe in a historical, because we've been so lulled into thinking that, you know, like old timey, you know, I don't know that people never fought. I'm like every single civil right we have is because people in the past fought for it. Mm -hmm. The idea that you like people were just real nice. And so women got to vote. <laughs> or people were real nice and so slavery ended. That's like not that's not any of that worked. Right. And so Well, yeah. but it's also a myth that's being perpetuated from inside the house. Oh yeah. Because you think about the legions, it feels like legions. I don't actually think it is legions, but there are a lot of historical readers who push back when you set a character when you set down a character who has feminist ideals or you know thinks about thinks about the world in a modern way yeah um and i use modern way in sort of air quotes because you know wollstonecraft was writing in the you know 1700s so it's not that modern right 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 so i mean i think that there's something really interesting to be said about this idea that we kind of you know what i've heard referred to with disdain as quote the me too girls Mm. who end up in historicals. There was a um, thread that I'm not interested in linking to that discussed Tessa Dare and I as being kind of too modern for historicals, wallpaper historicals, um, filled with Me Too girls and diverse casts. And everyone knows that, you know, people didn't exist. You know, London was full of very white Sure, rich dukes, rich everywhere, running around. Everybody got a duke, everyone. (laughs) Um, But I think about like criticism of you know Eva Lee's awesome sex worker book, and how like the only thing that the critique, the critic, you know, is a wonderful book, but the only thing the critic just couldn't get behind was, you know, that a sex worker would land a duke. 
Yeah. You know, what nonsense. (laughs) Well, and I think that it's not just race. It's also queer characters. And I've been reading a book that is not a romance called In the Dream House, which is a... um, a memoir of a, a lesbian, a bisexual woman who is in a relationship with a um, a woman who was abusive. And it's this really amazing memoir. But there is a part in the book where she quotes um, a queer theorist named Jose Esteban Munoz, who said um, that, like, people don't want to believe the queerness, like sort of the evidence of queerness. And so what the quote is, is when the historian of queer experience attempts to document a queer past, there is often a gatekeeper representing a straight present. And I was just like, that's interesting. Isn't that fascinating? Right. So it's like, and that's what we see over and over again is the gatekeepers of the, of the present, are looking back and saying, like, that couldn't have existed. And I, you know, I'm not really going to dive into, like, what mindset it is that drives that kind of thinking. But it's really important, I think. Um, And I think it's something that I think makes historical romance more interesting than ever, that it's really grappling with what, like, how do I, like, like, throw off the, the, the gatekeepers of, kind of this story and tell a different historical story. Yeah. And we are starting to see that we're starting to see all of those corners explored. Um, You know, we don't, it is just as common in 2019, 2020 for a historical romance to feature um, a person of color, a queer person, a person who um, might be in a different class, non non uh, aristocratic, right. um, you know, neurodivergent. Like we're able to see now all these different ways um, that you know identities have existed forever. Sure. Um, and I think you're right that there is, I do think something and something that we've talked, we talked about actually today is we're also grappling. I think a lot of historical writers have for a long time grappled with this historical accuracy, the sort of shrieking din of like, it's not historically accurate to the point where it has limited us. Like we've pulled our punches fearing, fearing this criticism. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting as an author that that's how that feels. And I think now a lot of us have thrown the yoke off. I mean, I've I don't want to toot my own horn because certainly I could do better. But I've been writing, you know, I've I've peopled my books diversely since the start and they've become more and more and more diverse. Um, And part of the part of that is that I feel like I've kind of come to a place where. I'm no longer interested in having the conversation about I, – I don't feel like I need to prove that any of this was historically accurate. Like I think we can all accept that, yeah. you know, people of color existed, queer people existed, neurodivergent people have existed. Sure. Yeah. This, people with disabilities have existed. Like these – none of this is new. And if people don't want to read that in your books, then they can go read – Somebody Whatever else is they're going to read. But we're yeah, not going to exactly. talk about those people. We're going to talk yeah. about people you should be reading because they're writing interesting books. Like, where do you start? So uh, we've established four, four categories, four myths about romance. Okay. <laughs> about historicals. That they're not sexy. That they're oh. boring. Yeah. That they're super white. I mean, 
and sure. many of them are, and <laughs> super white and super straight and uh, regressive. Yeah. So let's, let's pick one and let's tackle it. Okay, so I guess I would say let's pick what was what was topic three again? They're <laughs> white and straight. Yeah, so, so white people. Yeah, I would like to talk about um, the and I think we're just gonna like blow through and like yeah sort of we are talk we're not about, gonna right like, we don't yeah. have like tons of time it's not no. like it's kind of full bodied but I think there's a lot of people a couple a handful of people who are really addressing the it's white it's straight. Um, and I would say to me, like sort of the people that like really bubble up to the surface are, of course, the people who have been doing it all along. Right. Beverly Jenkins, Alyssa Cole, um, Vanessa uh, Riley, Vanessa Riley, Piper Hughley. But I would say a couple people that like really are addressing are, are kind of like, I don't know, Jeannie Lynn, Jeannie Lynn, Kat Sebastian, um, E.E. E. Ottoman. I really think is a crackerjack writer and he has a book called The Doctor's Discretion that I've like I've mm-hmm. just start you know I've started but get sort of rave reviews and one of the things I like about The Doctor's Discretion is I also think um the people that are really invested in like his, it's historically accurate might be interested because it's a story of two doctors Mm. And so what happens in the story, and I'll just tell kind of the beginning, like the lead, is um, the two doctors essentially are uh, two men working together to save a patient essentially from an asylum who is a trans character. And I believe Mm -hmm. it's a, a, a trans man. And then it turns out that one of the doctors is also a trans man. So his efforts to save this patient assisted right by his love are is really both like personal but also about like society writ large Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i also think you know anytime i don't know like doctors and like that research into like how Mm -hmm. like to me that also is often really will ring the bell for a historical reader yeah I love well so this is the thing so you want to read a historical there is a certain level of like you are going to learn some crazy shit by reading historicals like first of all I once pitched a whole series back at the beginning of my career after I wrote nine rules ten ways and eleven scandals I pitched a series about doctors and my editor was like no, that's super gross. Like, I don't think you thought <laughs> carefully that's enough true. about what doctoring looked like in the 1820s. Yeah. First of all, I, there's a great book that is not a romance called The Butchering Art by Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris, <laughs> who is, I mean, she's fantastic. Also, highly, if you do are not a squeamish person, I highly recommend following her on Instagram. But she is <laughs> like, she's a... Um, like a for like a a, his, a medical his, historian, and yeah. she wrote this book called The Butchering Art, basically about like the the guys who were the earliest surgeons. <laughs> oh man, one of them. Oh my god, I want to write a book about him so much. <laughs> one of them is so basically the early surgeons were just butchers, like they were. Yeah. And if you had to have something amputated, there was really only one thing that you wanted in your butcher, and that was speed. And so they would, because there was no, like, way to put you out, like, they couldn't, there was no, this was not an, this was not a delicate thing. Yeah. And um, he used to, he was, like, 
apparently he was like six foot seven, which at the time, imagine, like he was a monster. Huge. Right. And he would, with one hand, hold you down and with the other hand saw – I'm sorry, you guys. I know some of you are squeamish. (laughs) But, I mean, I just love this image so much and it makes me totally crazy. I know. But – and he could – amputate his claim to fame was that he could amputate a limb in under five seconds man and so like this kind of work is real gross but i love all that all that stuff like i love how medicine worked i love the butchering art is actually the story of james lister and how Mm -hmm. who listerine is named after like the Um, sort of story of how and like basically people discovered bacteria yeah and, like, figured out that you should be clean when you're amputating a limb. Also fast and clean. <laughs> um, so, yeah. anyway, we'll put that in the show notes, in show notes, too. But there's – but I love that EE is, you know, tackling doctors. I love that – I mean, I assume that this is steeped kind of in James Barry lore, which um, James Barry was a trans doctor, a trans male doctor. Um, right. And I think that um, that's the one thing that I know that – and this sort of leads into this kind of like, oh, it's boring. It's like history. Like – what I told you about, the six foot seven right. <laughs> tall, like, surgeon who could amputate a limb in under five seconds. Like, that's the kind of history that is often sort of deeply embedded in historical romances. And partially it's because we just really love it, right? Like, I wouldn't write historicals if I didn't care about that history. But, you know, I think that invariably, and I don't know about you, but I tell the story all the time that um, when I, I took European history in high school and I I wanted we had to do a primary source paper and i had mm. just read virginia henley's um the dragon and the jewel which is about simon um simon de montfort and eleanor plantagenet it's like a retelling like a reimagining of the princess like of eleanor plantagenet actually you know marrying a knight instead of mm-hmm. you know for business for business purposes and um I was like, I want to write about these people. And she was like, you're never going to find primary source material about this, but go ahead. Yeah. And like, I just think, so yeah, part of it is a sort of lush desire for history, but I promise you it's not boring. No. And I think it's like one of the ways too, I often find books like this are a way to like see history through a new lens. I mean, so for example, William is a black man and he like at one point sort of says to, um, you know, that he went to uh, medical school in Scotland and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he can tell that He's like, oh, you know, he's. I'm going to be judged because I, you know, I didn't go to Columbia or whatever. But, you know, it's like, no, I was black. No other medical school would take me. I mean, so it's like also yeah. a way of getting this, you know, like history through a new lens, too. Sure. Just that, you know, th- despite any kind of impediments, people with like a real thirst for whatever it is they wanted to do found a way to do it. Yeah. And we can have books that celebrate that. Well, we talked about so much in our um, in our interstitial about uh, competence porn. We talked about women with jobs and how, like, in historicals, so many women have jobs. And they're real right. jobs that people really had. Um, you know, I think about Lisa Kleypas. God, it feels like every podcast is doing Lisa Kleypas right now. So we're mm-hmm. not going to talk very much about Lisa sure. Kleypas. But, like, every one of Lisa's books, like, is steeped in some sort of, like, historical – 
story, like the invention of the train or the whatever, you know, Joanna Shoup, who we love, 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 like her books are all about like what casinos looks like or like, you know, the history of boxing, the history of, you know, history can be very sexy. And I think the I, I think the other part, too, is like, you know, I, I feel like it's been um I like to see the tropes, especially in in romances like, you know, when you read old historicals set in the in America, in the old West, they are really problematic often about Native Americans. There's no black characters, you know, even though we know like a huge amount of cowboys were black, all the cowboys are white. So mm-hmm. when you read Beverly Jenkins or when you read Alyssa Cole, right, like here you are getting a chance to reread history yeah. that is you know, deeply researched because, and, you know, we, I think after our Indigo episode, there was a really great thread where, you know, black women are like, you know, they can't get away with anything lazy. They're white, you know, it's, there's so much research that's done and it's like, like they have to be, you know, the twice as good. Right. And so I think that's the other thing is, you know, you're going to probably get better, (laughs) Better historical accuracy and mm-hmm. research in a book without white characters because those authors are going to be, it's sad to say, they are going to be called like attacked. Yep. If any little moment of historical inaccuracy is going to be used to undermine like the whole text, and that's crazy. So I don't know if I should leave that in or not, but I think that that's, you know, if you're really interested in historical accuracy, these books are uh, often you know, like not only just like digging into some really interesting thing you didn't know about, but just really concerned with like, this is what a life could have been like. Yeah, I just think I just think that stuff, I can completely understand why it feels like it might be work. But I, I think in the hands of most, uh, most great historical writers, it it really feels fun. Oh, yeah. You know, like I think about, I mean, we re- we read Indigo a couple a few weeks ago and it's really fun all the like bits and pieces about the underground railroad and how everything worked and then you know it just it's it's interesting and fun um and sexy oh yeah for sure it's fine everyone bathes you guys (laughs) all the everybody takes baths in historical romances that part is not historically accurate but everyone takes a bath and so it gets super sexy yeah it's true and carriage sex carriage sex is such a like carriage sex is such a like favorite historical trope or subtrope even it's like if you've ever seen a car i mean joanna shoop notoriously or I don't know if it's notorious, but notoriously um, dis- did actual research to make sure that you could, in fact, have penetrative sex in a carriage. I mean, of course you can because teenagers have been having sex in back seats forever. It's fine. Sure. But carriages are real tiny and like – but it's like a clown car in there for us. Like – I can't imagine. <laughs> no, but I also think about like people like Kate Pierce – um, mm, oh God, that Sabrina, series was ugh. so hot. Yeah. And there's a great, this one is real. This is a deep cut, you guys, but there's a woman named Sabrina Darby who back in the day, do you remember Avon Red, Jen? 
No, okay. Sarah. Like, Avon. Whoa. I know this is. I tell you, I, I'm like deep tracks right I'm now. A mine yeah. of information. <laughs> um, this is real. The B sides. So back in the day, like in 2009, 2008, 2009, Avon launched Avon Red, which was trade size, like trade paperback size, but all erotic. Wow. So it pre because it predated really the advent of ebooks, but it's like people knew that erotic romance was a thing and so Avon launched this sort of like like upscale erotic romance line like the red shoe diaries <laughs> wow and it i don't know it lasts it didn't last for very long but Sabrina Darby wrote a book called On These Silken Sheets and it's four short erotic novels in one all set in a sex club owned by this like lady madam yeah. And it is great. A plus. Highly recommended. So if you're into erotic romance and have never know and don't know where to start with historicals, yeah. try that. I will say the the they're not sexy charge is always the one that I don't get because everybody you talk to that like ever has kids like giggles at some point about kids like thinking they're the only ones who like have discovered sex you know what i mean i'm like (laughs) how is it that you think that like that's only true of like us and like the generation we have wrought like come on yeah and i think that that's the part too like and you know i mean if you're interested in this one of my favorite instagram no instagram probably too and twitter feeds is whores of your oh whores of yours great <laughs> because it's just like no look people have been taken dirty as long as as soon as someone invented a camera somebody yeah. else was like let's get naked in front of that thing yeah there is a museum in the Museum of Sex in New York City is one of my very favorite museums in the world. Um, and part of the reason why is because their standing collection of historical like art of sex artifacts mm. is really remarkable. Um, and they recently had an exhibition that was just that was like the Victorian like Victorian sex stuff mm. from, you know, the um the, I mean, the 17th century guides that young men could – young men uh, that – I mean, young young gentlemen. Yes. Not boys. Young <laughs> men um, could get on their, like, grand tours of all the, like, prostitutes that they could visit. And they had rankings. It was like Yelp, but for – like the photos guide, but for prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, somebody wrote – there's a – the woman who wrote uh, The Five – Hallie Rubinstein, um, wrote, who wrote The Five, which is about Jack the Ripper's uh, victims, also mm. wrote a book about this little, like, photo's guide to Covent Garden whores. Mm. And um, that – her book about the guide became Harlots. They optioned it and turned it into Harlots. Um, and so, you know, this standing exhibition at the Museum of Sex talked about those guides and talked about, like, all the photographs that were being taken, like, right around the turn of – you know, not the turn of the – the turn of the actual century the real turn of the century jen (laughs) sure sarah 18 to 19 because we never invented the turn of the century (laughs) (laughs) the century has not turned as far as i'm concerned um but that kind of so really really interesting standing exhibition there uh relating to just how old sex is sure the answer is very sex is very old (laughs) 
People have been doing it all the ways you could do it for a really long time. Yeah, it's interesting. Who do you think writes really sexy historicals? Well, I just gave you so Kate Pierce always comes to mind. Um, yeah, that that simply series. That simply right? series is really great. Um, like I said, Sabrina. Um, who else? Joanna. Yeah. Like, listen, don't sleep on Beverly Jenkins, you guys. Like, oh, I mean, my God. <laughs> I read Indigo and was like, uh-huh. my goodness. Um, let me think about. Who yeah, else I are think the really big sexy writers. You know who's really dirty is <laughs> Lorraine Heath. Really? And See? oh my God, and Sophie Jordan. Yeah, who Sophie Jordan's newest book, which is about an aphrodisiac, is bonkers. It's bonkers. Everybody should pre-order if you like erotic romance and you're looking for historicals. Pre-order Sophie's next book. Which literally, I was like, I'm hot. Like, it raised the temperature in the room for me, which takes a lot these days. It takes a lot to surprise me. I, um, Sophie Jordan's like kind of like a comfort read for me. And ever since this RWA thing happened, I've been really struggling with like what to read. And I read While the Duke Was Sleeping today. And at one point, the hero, like, she's just like really stressed out. And he like takes her into a linen closet and performs cunnilingus just to like... Give Calm her, her down. Sure. And I was like, what a guy. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Yeah. Oh. So I guess what we're saying is that's fine too. You yeah. Sure. <laughs> you can, you can, whatever your pleasure is, historicals got it for you. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's definitely the case. Oh, you know who we haven't, we, who we skipped talking about and, uh, is KJ Charles. Who I think is so talented. God, KJ Charles. I don't even understand how, as a writer, you even, you probably just don't read it because it makes you feel bad about yourself. It it makes me feel quite bad about myself, actually. Wanted a Gentleman is my favorite of KJ Charles' books, Um, although I really like Think of England, too. Um, I like Band Sinister a whole, oh, whole yeah, lot. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. God. You know why? Because I love a found family and yeah. him and his, like, brethren. Yeah. And then, you know, they rescue the dummy next door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you know who else? Um, Nicola Davidson. I just want to give a shout out to oh, that yeah. one. That one novella that she wrote, with which has an alpha submissive duke. I know you don't oh, think yeah, they sure. exist, but I really like that one. Yeah, I like the one, um, the whole Surrey Sexual Freedom Society. And then My Lady, My Lover. My Lady's Lover was really good, yeah. Which is female, female. Yeah. Uh, Servant Mistress. Yes. Yeah, those are really good. Which is real sexy. That's a a sexy book. Oh, fuck yes. It's amazing. I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's also a really strong and passionate advocate for the idea that, like, anybody who thinks that, like, like raunchy sex didn't exist back yeah. then just needs to, like, get it together. Well, I mean, I get it, though, because I feel like, you know, how many times have I gotten hate hate emails about swearing? Yeah. Like, I do think that there's a perception of romance that it's, like, it's for people who don't want – who want it real clean, Right, because contemporary is allowed to traffic in that stuff, but historical sure. isn't. I mean, and there's a lot of like, you know, all these people 
you know, having tons of sex before marriage, it just would never have happened, which is nonsense. If you look in parish registers, there are Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot of five and six month babies. Sure. Of course. Of course. Um, So, yeah. I want to talk about what's like that it's boring. Because one of the things I think that I was thinking about today as I was reading the Sophie Jordan book was... One of the reasons I actually love historicals is because I feel like in every historical, there's an adventure. And here's what I mean by that. Because because there are people, these are folks who are like pushing the boundaries of right or like right there, like, where's the cage? Let me push up against it. Because of that, everything, every single thing they do to me feels like an adventure. Whereas in a contemporary, Mm -hmm. people like going to work and meeting family and going out for drinks. It doesn't really, unless in a, in a contemporary, someone has to like go on a road trip or something. Right. But every historical to me is like an adventure. Yeah. And I, I just, and it doesn't have to be an actual adventure, but it just feels like these are people who are, are because they're pushing those boundaries. That's just kind of built into the system. I'm surprised by the, it's boring complaint. Cause I feel like if I need a big adventure, I'm more likely to pick a historical. Yeah. Well, And don't you kind of feel like historicals have more freedom to do the bonkers stuff? Oh, God, yes. Like, I mean, I think about my last two books. And, I mean, the conceit – first of all, the conceit of the series I'm writing right now just wouldn't work outside of historicals. Right. Um. So I think, like, there's a certain sense of, like, you can play with fantasy in historicals. You can set up a kind of fairy tale feel to something. And people are willing to go with it in a way that they're not willing to go with it necessarily mm-hmm. in contemporary. But then, like, you can put an explosion in. You can nearly kill someone in a refrigeration yeah. tank. <laughs> sure. Say, in an ice storage. You know, you can have, like, you can have, you know, boxing and and, like, real, like, Things that you can – you in, – in every historical, you can have, like, a character near death's door. You can have, like, you know, whatever you need there to be. Um, and you just sort of build it and readers come for it. And it is interesting that in contemporaries, we all seem to – I don't know because I don't write histor- – I don't write contemporaries. So it does feel a little bit like – is it just that readers wouldn't accept the wild storyline? I feel like the wild storylines and contemporaries get shunted to romantic suspense or paranormal. Mm. I feel like contemporary, the promise of contemporary is almost like regular people living regular lives, except everyone's a billionaire. So it's like that part. Whereas, and so I don't know, it's like a really interesting, it, it's just really interesting to me. Like, I mean, when I think about like the the very premise of of Alyssa Cole's first book, and is it an extraordinary union? Yes, it's about spies. So I don't, I don't know. No, I know, but I mean, it's like a black woman essentially goes undercover in the South during during, during pre Civil War, during the Civil War, yeah. and and I'm like the very I, my stomach just hurt as I said that. Here, yeah. the stakes are so high. And I feel like maybe that's why his, in historicals there's so much adventure because, you know, the stakes are so high. You're going to get ruined. You're going to, you know, you could literally, you know, you step on a rusty nail and you could die from tetanus or whatever the fuck. Yeah. So I feel like that's the part where you can just really 
the stakes are so much higher. And I think that's probably why. So I don't know. I mean, I think that's the part like, I mean, even or even and even if they're kind of ridiculous premises, like you and I both love that Monica McCarty series about um, the Highland Guard. Sure. Navy Seals and kilts. Navy yeah. Seals. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> and I feel like that's the part that is really interesting to me is, uh, yeah, I don't know. like the I, But I get it. I get that there can be a sense that historicals can be, you know, just women in ball gowns well, dancing it, around through the ballroom, right? And we look, that's... That sure. exists. Of course it does. And but I think about like Diana Quincy's The Duke Who Ravished Me, where, you know, it begins with this Duke who has like a literal sex room, like a bacchanal yeah. room in his <laughs> house. And then ding dong, or like he's in this room with like his mistress and a bunch of other people, like, and there's an orgy going on. And like knock knock at the door and it's his butler and the butler is like you have two twin eight-year-olds and a very prim lady standing at the door downstairs you know and suddenly like record scratch what the hell is going on you know and then halfway through the book the twin eight-year-olds are like swinging on the sex swing because they think they've discovered this room and they think that it's a playground it's hilarious and crazy but like you know, what a fun book. By the way, Diana has a new series coming out this year from HarperCollins, from Avon, and it's all uh, Middle Eastern characters and its own voices, and I'm so here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Each one of them is focused on, like, um, a different kind of, like, specialty career. So there's, like, a map maker and, like, a – yeah. I, I don't know what the other ones are, but I know there's a map maker, and I'm very excited. Well, or I think about, like, um, Cat Sebastian has a series, one of the books is called The Lawrence Brown Affair, I think, where mm-hmm. essentially one of the men in each pairing is a, like, a con artist. I love that. I mean, so it's like, oh, God, yes, right? And it's kind of like, then you see them, like, all tortured by the idea that, like, oh, no, I'm con, I'm, I'm falling in love with the person I'm supposed to be conning. I mean, yeah. so to me, these are books that really are, like, high like like rip-roaring adventures yeah i think you're right because i get the only real contemporaries that i can think of that have this kind of real crazy adventure are those crusty cold mafia books yeah and other mafia books i feel like maybe mafia books are a yeah or like road trip books which i feel like coming up well yeah i'm not talking about a contemporary but i feel like maybe like you get people on a road trip and things happen cars break down they have to you know walk through the jungle whatever but yeah yeah it's harder i think it's just harder. harder in our modern world when if your car breaks down you can call an uber this is my problem this is why i'm i so admire terrific contemporary writers Because I actually think it's immensely harder. Like, if I need there to be a misunderstanding, it's totally plausible that, like, someone sent a letter and it just hasn't hasn't been received yet. Yeah, it's easy. Like, somebody was supposed to be somewhere and they, you know, got the time wrong. And, like, now it's five years later. And... No one knows what happened, you know? And I think uh, it's a lot harder when you can text someone and say, hey, were we supposed to meet at 10? (laughs) 
So what's the last one? Regressive? I feel oh, like yeah, we talked already, about I feel that. like we covered it. So I think that's a good place. I think, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe we didn't give enough enough recommendations, but maybe we should maybe we we'll should build them out in show notes. Build them out. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it we'll put them in Instagram um and and other places. But truly we just wanted to talk through or maybe you guys should, could share them with us in comments or um we wanted to talk about how this all you know, why you should try historicals. Yeah. Um, give them a try. It's okay. You know, we, we've, we've recommended a lot of them today. We have lots of them on the website and um, on other yeah. shows. Um, Cressley, if you are Cressley fans, if you are IAD fans and never read a historical, maybe start with Cressley. Start with McCarrick yeah. Brothers. I have a couple of them that I haven't read. So I have also written a historical. You have a few, so <laughs> you know Just a few. Um, they're easy. It's easy. It's it's not dense. I think that's the other thing. Like think about some of those old historicals, like the Kinsales, with apologies oh, yeah. to Kate Claiborne, who loves Laura Kinsale. Like Kinsale's tough. It's tough yeah. to get through Kinsale. Yeah, I feel like they're. Yeah, I think it's also just finding the right voice. I mean, the people that you're just really attracted to that, you know, create the characters you want that have that voice, you know, mm-hmm. and the the writing, they manage to like weave in really interesting historical details without overwhelming you or like getting too into the weeds. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is important, too, about historical and maybe this is a concern for people who really love contemporaries or really love like books that aren't, um, you know, wild and aren't adventure novels and, you know, don't have explosions and other things <laughs> is, you know, people like Tessa Dare. Tessa Dare hits, it co- bills herself as Regency rom-com and she yeah. might be the best rom-com writer out there right now. Agreed. I mean, like, they, they might be the closest thing to a rom-com out there right now. You know who else yeah. is, is like that is Megan Frampton. Just yeah. two people saying funny things at each other. And yeah. like, it's delightful to watch. So agreed. I mean, I think you can find what it, I think the benefit to historical having been is being the oldest, right? Coming from hair and all the way through it, their historicals always existed. There's never been a downturn for historical, and that means that whatever you want, you can find it. Yeah, I Jen's agree. yawning. I'm sorry, everybody. It's I'm time tired. for Jen to go to bed, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's wrap it up. Uh, this is Faded Mates. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Faded Mates and on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. You can call us and tell us the book that blooded you this season at 646 450 3766. Um, We are playing listener voicemails about the books that blooded them at the end of every episode. If you are missing them, you are really missing out. Some of them are really wonderful. All of them are really wonderful, but some of them are, like, extra amazing. Yeah. Um, You can get pins and stickers from Best Friend Kelly at Jen's store at jenreadsromance.com yes um you can get t-shirts from me and jordan denay at jordandenay.com um we'll put all of that in show notes faded mates is produced by eric mortensen and he is going to be so happy that we did all that in less than like i don't know we ramble through it a lot 12 or 13 minutes 
um, take our survey. We'll put the link in show notes. We want to ah, hear from you. Survey.fadedmates.net. Join our Faded Mates Reading Challenge. Reading Challenge. That's all you need to know. That's it. Bam, bam. Yeah, find on Instagram. Join our reading challenge. Read a, reread. The January challenge is reread a book that blooded you and tell us about it, which we're super excited about. Very. All right. That's it. I'm tired. Um, I'm going to go to bed now, everybody. I know. You guys, I'm looking at her face. She looks like she's powering down. <laughs> Somebody hit the reset oh button. God. Bye. All right. Bye. Hi, Faded Mates. This is Michelle Mars. Hi, guys. Um, and the book that blooded me was Kiss and Tell by Suzanne Carey. This was um, probably back in 1991, I'm guessing. Really a long time ago. Um, and I was a teenager, and I was skulking around the basement and found books that I'm guessing my mother got as a gift. There were three books. They were all from Silhouette Desire. And I started with that one, and I adored it. Um, it was a rich rancher, son of a rich rancher, I guess, and um, and the uh, sorry reporter who was going to tell a story about his uh, grandfather. And um, he was trying to protect the grandfather. She was trying to tell a story, but he didn't know that. It was very much um, falling in love, but there's these secrets and things come out. And I was just hooked with all of the um, wonderful characters that were involved because there was lots of great um, other characters and hooked with their, you know, conflict and how they were going to resolve it. It was a great book. I've read it so many times. And so, yeah, thank you so much for the podcast. And that's the book that blooded me, Suzanne Carey, Kiss and Tell. Thank you.